There was an upset in Columbia. USC gets a stop. And we are officially counting down to the game. It's College Fantasy Tonight, presented by CampusToCant.com. We're going to get to all of the relevant games and the relevant action this week in college football. But before we do, go ahead and subscribe to the channel and like this video. We can get this video to 10 likes if you like the content that we're putting out every single week here on the YouTube page. Then go ahead and support us. It's absolutely free to do so. We appreciate it here at C2C. We start every college fantasy tonight with the rundown that means i should be hearing the music in my ears i have no snare in my headphones there we go there we go actually it just it just went away is this there is the snare returned to my headphones all right uh let's start with tennessee and south carolina chris boxley you're the 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 uh south carolina fan um uh, tennessee 38 south carolina 60 Three, Spencer Rattler has himself a game, uh, 30, 30 for 30 for 37, 436 yards, six touchdowns. Jaheim Bell, is he a tight end? Is he a running back? Uh, 17 carries in this one, 82 yards. He also has five for 39 through the air and two touchdowns. We don't know what position he plays. Antoine Wells, 11 for 177, no touchdowns. He is the leading receiver. Josh Van, two catches. 78 yards, two touchdowns. Jalen Brooks also had two catches for 56 yards and one touchdown. Uh, Chris Moxley, your Gamecocks were on a roll today. We absolutely were. 25-point win against the number five team in the country as a 6-4 and four team. I mean, that that's just incredibly impressive. I, I thought this was Spencer Rattler's best performance as a Gamecock. You highlighted it. 438 and for six touchdowns. I mean, he he looked like he was back at QB1, to be honest. I, I mean, I thought this was one of the more impressive performances we've seen out of this dude. Uh, Tennessee didn't play bad either. Uh, I, I thought that they played pretty well. Uh, you know, Hen Hooker suffered an injury late in the game. But for the most part, he played okay. South Carolina's defense, which has been a big issue this year, played well. So did their offensive line. You post 63 on anybody, you should be expected to win. And so I am incredibly impressed with this Gamecocks performance. I think this is the signature win of the Shane Beamer era. Hendon Hooker uh, goes down with a knee injury in this one, non-contact. So you got to cross your fingers for him, a potential Heisman hopeful. He was 25 for 42 for 247 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions in in this one before he went down. Uh, Joe Milton came in on relief, four for eight, 108 yards, one touchdown. Jabari Small got things going on the ground, 11 for 80. Uh, Marcarius Squirrel White, the freshman. The freshman there at Tennessee, he's probably going to have a great season uh, next year when some of these players leave. Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, 5 for 96 in this one. And Cedric Tillman, uh, two touchdowns in this one on nine catches for 81 yards. Jalen Hyatt, his hot streak cools just a little bit. Six for 65 in this one, Chris. Tennessee did not play poorly. I I really like what I saw from... uh... Uh, what's his name? Squirrel, it's Squirrel White, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Mark Squir- yep. Squirrel White. Um, Tillman played great. All right. Thank you, Chris Moxley. We I'm, I'm just living large. I'm just living large. 
I, was I don't not, have a, was not was not on the show today, but he wanted to come in and talk about his uh, South Carolina game talks. We appreciate it, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. That brings us to Washington State and Arizona. Now, watching this game, you thought that there could potentially be fireworks works in this one. Washington State offers Cam Ward in the spread system. So, and Jaden Delar, Jaden Delar, there for, uh, from Arizona, a former Washington State Cougar. You thought that this could potentially be a uh, revenge game of sorts. It was not. Now, the final score, 31 to 20, 31, Washington State 31, Arizona 20. That looks a little bit closer than the game was. This really was a defensive matchup through uh, much of the game. 31-6 in the fourth quarter before Arizona got some scores. Cameron Ward in this one, 25 for 36, uh, 191 yards, one touchdown. But he added something on the ground, 8 for 59 and 1. Uh, he was getting first downs, moving the chains on, on the ground. Cameron Ward. He has that one trait, and that one trait is the ability to elude pressure from the pocket, to scramble, to make plays. But he often does so and throws the ball horizontally, still not throwing the ball down the field. Uh, he hasn't really done so this entire season. Let's see if he develops that aspect of his game. Nakia Watson, you probably started him 15 for 56, one touchdown. He added five catches for 31 yards in another touchdown. Good game for him. Jalen Jenkins is going to take over that role next year. He was nine for 37 in this one. No touchdowns. Renard Bell, you may have started him seven for 33. Donovan Ali, five for, for uh, 53. And uh, Sean Stribling. Uh, three for 32 over on the Arizona side. Jaden Delara, he has all the tools, but made several mistakes in this one, just missing uh, wa missing wide receivers, throwing into coverage. He was 28 for 46, 357 yards, one touchdown, but four, count them, four INTs to the backfield. Michael Wiley, seven for 50 uh, on the ground. He has five for 47 through the air. Jonah Coleman, five for 38. Uh, Dorian Singer, Dorian Singer, you may have started him. Nine for 176 and one. A lot of that coming in the second half. The freshman, Tedaroa McMillan, three for 65. And Jake Cowling, maybe day two or early day three NFL draft pick, just six for 37 in this one. Washington State gets the win, but we didn't have as many fireworks as we thought we may have had in this one. Barnabas, Barnabas, come in here, get in here. You cover TCU and Baylor for us. TCU takes this by one with a last-second field goal. Field goal kicker has to rush on to the field. TCU continuing to live by the skin of their teeth, 29-28 in this one. Uh, they do not cover, but they do get the victory, and they keep their playoff hopes alive. Absolutely. Uh, nothing makes me more anxious than a fire drill field goal and uh, I convinced every coach in college football needs to take a luck management class. But um, that, that's being, you know, uh, uh, Baylor started the game really strong. They were ashing TCTC defense, really showing, showing exiting those 4-2-5 defenses um, for those outside zones. Um, it took a missed field goal for Baylor, uh, for Baylor to for, for TCU to wake a little bit. Um, his offensive game, game plan was power, 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 and let's run a, a big bomb shot down, down the field. And, uh, and uh, that was a little bit harder in the second half, but, uh, you know, on the first half, uh, Quentin Johnston and Tay Barber got them uh, almost there, and then the running game punched, punched it in. Um, to end the half, Shapen was driving Blair down, and, and then uh, throws a pick and pick in the end zone. Going to the locker room, tie room, tie 14 all. Uh, was, you know, the way the scoring was going on in the beginning of the game, 
um it was it, it was looking like it was going to be like four points a, pop, a piece for each side so um notably uh quentin johnston and kendry Biller, Biller were both in in uh third quarter quarter um but uh richard reese punches one in under 10 minutes ago putting baylor up by eight um and then tcu t- takes the next six or so minutes just to score a touchdown like really really taking there to going down the field field which was an off um um and then the fake point conversions version so they're down two um you know uh and then when Baylor gets the ball back with a little under four minutes to go, uh, Shapen misses a wide open Sims that would have the game, and then, and then uh, you know, you know, they run that fire, fire T sends that fire drill, drill field, and uh, they they did it all the way up. So twenty one for thirty, two hundred and sixty nine yards, one touchdown, one interception. A young quarterback on the rise, playing in Jeff Grimes' system. He's gonna have better days. Add seven for twenty on the ground. Uh, squirrel Williams, a different squirrel. Uh, there are 19 carries for 120, excuse me, 112 yards. No touchdowns, adds three receptions for five yards. Not much there. The freshman Richard Reese takes a back seat in this one. Uh, 10 for 56, one touchdown. He does add one for four on the ground. Quaylen Jones, uh, five for 30 and one, and one for four through the air. Monterey Baldwin, someone that we need to be adding to watch lists, is not rostered uh, as much as he should be. Six for 123 in this one. He also had uh, three carries for 10 yards. Kelsey Johnson, three for 30 and one, and then one for two and one. Over on the TCU side, Max Duggan, uh, 24 for 35, 327 yards, one touchdown, uh, one interception, adds five for 50 and one. A little bit better offensively than they were last week against Texas. Kendry Miller adds 10 for 41 and one, two for 14 for the air. Tay Barber, five for 108. And this one, Savion Williams, uh, uh, four for 54. Gunnar Henderson, three for 52, one touchdown. And Quentin Johnston, we did not know if he was going to play in this one. He had been banged up, had been dealing with an ankle injury. He plays in this one, four for 48. Uh, So that brings us to, and TCU gets the win, that brings us to Ohio State and Maryland. Uh, Ohio State gets the victory, but it's a little bit tighter than, than we thought. Ohio State was favored by 27. Ohio State wins 43-30. Ohio State gets a late uh, pick six, pick six touchdown uh, that that gave them a little bit more wiggle room at the end of that game. It was a little bit tighter. C.J. Stroud could he be there at the end uh, there in New York for the Heisman ceremony? 18 for 30, 241 yards, one touchdown. No interceptions. He had four carries for negative six yards. He might be a better improviser and scrambler once he gets to the NFL level. Travion Henderson, was he going to be healthy? He did play in this one. Just 11 carries for 19 yards. So not great on the ground, but one catch for 31 yards and one touchdown through the air. It was Dallin Hayden who told you to start. I told you to start on the tailgate this morning. 27 for 146. Three touchdowns for Mr. Hayden's. If you got him, he might have carried you into the next week of your playoffs. Two for 10 on the ground. Emeka Abuka, eight suits, so six for 82. Marvin Harrison Jr., he's just a wall that catches the ball. You throw back shoulder fade to him, he's going to catch it. Five for 68 in this one. Barnabas, go ahead. Break it down for us. Yeah, so uh, Ohio State really struggled in the beginning. Um, they had a lot of penalties, that, um, and they Maryland's defense is not good, and they just really struggled to capitalize on that. Um, but it, it was it was odd because you know their their Stroud wasn't facing any pressure. The only time they were he was seeing anyone in his face was when he was rolling out, which the coaches called a fair number of rollouts. So that was odd. Uh, but multiple times where 
there were more rushers and blockers and Stroud still was standing in the pocket. Um, Henderson, you know, got, got the scoring off uh, in the beginning. He had a nice little slip uh, screen on the outside and took it all the way down. Uh, but, you know, Dallin Hayden, like you said, took over in the second half. Um, they, Trayvon Henderson was seen with a boot on the sideline. So um, not super great news. Maybe he can make it back if they make the playoff or something. Um, Maryland finally breaks their touchdown drought. Um, you know, they, they didn't score a single point last week and they, they didn't score any touchdowns the week before that. So, um, yeah, so they finally get their break their touchdown uh, drought at under the 14, four minute mark. And Maryland actually went into the halftime uh, leading 13 to 10. Um, but, you know, it, it, it spiraled a little quickly uh, because Maryland opened the second half with a short drive and then got their punt blocked. And, uh, you know, that was one of Dallin Hayden's punch-ins. Um, but suddenly we came around to the fourth quarter and it was a shootout. Um, special teams were going back and forth. Xavier Johnson had a really great return that led to a touchdown. But on the uh, Ohio State was looking to take, go for two and they got a delay of game, which was the fourth of the game. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so Ryan Day likes to uh, kick the field goal, the kick the PAT instead, and that gets blocked. And Jacob Copeland takes that all the way back for a four-point swing there. Um, but eventually, Ohio State defense holds. Um, Zach Harrison beats Jalen Duncan two plays in a row to seal it, and there's like a nice little scoop and score that made the game look actually a lot further than it was yeah. um, at 43 to 30. Uh, Talia yeah. finally got got his pro- production going, 26 for 36. Uh, 293 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. So um, he he finally figured out that he had to you know throw the ball instead of looking straight down anytime he felt pressure. So uh, Roman Hemby, 11 for 39. You probably didn't start him. Dante Demas is going to be an NFL draft pick. Five for 67 in this one. Rakeem Jared, who I often forget actually plays for Maryland. Uh, so does three for 65 in this one, and CJ Dupree. Uh, four for 30 and one. We appreciate Barnabas. Barnabas, an alumni of one uh, Maryland. Is it the University of Maryland? Maryland University? Maryland. He, he's an alumni of that school. Um, all right, Austin Nates, let's bring, in, let's bring you in here. Georgia, uh, 16, Kentucky 6. Georgia was pl- favored by 22 and a half. The experts may have told you that, that Georgia was going to cover. That's why I'm not an expert. I had Kentucky in this one, plus 22. But Georgia stays undefeated. Yeah, this game was about as boring as that sixteen to six would suggest. <laughs> it was, it was pretty brutal to watch. Look, Georgia is kind of that buzzsaw that just wears you down as the game goes on. They were very, very effective running the ball today. The big issue for them: short yardage situations. Stopped in a bunch of key short yardage situations. Goal to go, uh, you know, fourth and one that would have not only you know scored them more points, but kind of iced this game away earlier. Uh, it, it kept kind of Kentucky in this game. You know, they weren't really, but 10 points. I mean, you can't argue with that. Um, Stetson Bennett, not great today. 13 for 19, 116 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. It was a very odd performance from him. Usually he's kind of overly aggressive, and today was almost the exact opposite. I don't know. The staff has just been beating that into his head all week, but a short little dink and dunk type game. Not a lot of deep shots in this one. The real money was on the ground, as I said before. Kenny McIntosh led the way here today. 19 carries, 143 yards, uh, and a touchdown for him. Added you know, 20-ish yards uh, through the air as well there. Finished with 24 uh, total fantasy points. Uh, Dejon Edwards, 14 for 50. Uh, Kendall Milton added in 31 yards on the ground. Like it, Just a total team effort, and, and they really, really ran the ball. Like Just you know, 8 o'clock, extended drives, looked really, really good defensively. Shut Kentucky down for the most part. Brock Bowers... 
uh, you know, an afterthought in this one. Uh, two two catches for 10 yards. I believe Dominic Blaylock was actually the leading receiver on the day. He had 38 yards receiving. Uh, Lad McConkey 28. Marcus Rosemey Jack St. 10 yards. I mean, it just, it, uh, their quarterback only passed for 116 yards. This is what happens. Um, on the other end of that ball, Kentucky, Will Levis actually was not terrible in this game. He did make a couple of uh, what I thought to be almost indefensible throws. He threw a really bad interception to Kelly Ringo where he just totally misidentified coverage and alignment. Um, but uh, but in, he, he really wasn't bad in this one. 20 for 31, 206 yards, one touchdown, one interception, added a hefty 26 yards on the ground as well. So, I mean, you, you didn't want to start him today for fantasy, but I think he looked better than he has the past couple weeks, even in the more difficult matchup. Chris Rodriguez, they tried to get him going on the ground there. You know, it's tough to establish the run against Georgia. 51 yards to uh, uh, total for him. The big hero of the day, Barry and Brown. Barry and the guy Brown. that we've been very high on here at C2C that has all the athletic upside in the world. 10 catches, 145 yards, a touchdown. When they needed a big play, like they, Kentucky did not have drives. The two times they got deep into Georgia territory, or, or two of the three times, were basically they hoofed a 55-yard bomb to Barry and Brown that he somehow managed to bring down uh, and kind of got them there. So really big day from him. I'm excited to see how he develops here over the next couple of years. Don't be fooled. Dane Key has produced more than him in a lot of situations this year, but Barry and Brown is the guy you want moving forward. NFL teams are going to be drooling over this guy when he's eligible. Speaking of Dane Key, two catches, 23 yards on the day for him. Not a huge performance, uh, but I mean, it, this game was never really in doubt, even though it's only a 10-point uh, uh, spread at the end. That's all they needed is, is that 10-point uh, uh, margin of victory, and that was enough. Um, Baron Brown, a potential superstar, at the very least, he's going to be drafted for his kick return ability, uh, and he probably adds a lot, a lot more than that. Austin, uh, USC and UCLA was a classic. USC was cover, was favored by two and a half. They actually cover this one. They win by three. Uh, Caleb Williams, potential Heisman winner. Good teams win, great teams cover. Is that what they say? I guess that means USC, a great team winning here uh, in this big rivalry matchup. 48-45 final score. Um, and, and like you said, you know, Caleb Caleb Williams, was this his Heisman moment in this one? I don't even know if he was the best quarterback in this game, but he played very, very well. 32 for 43, 470 yards. That is not a typo. 470 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, added another 32 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Um, would have preferred if he threw a couple more, maybe you really, really hurting in some fantasy spots here, but, but a really, really good day for him. This offense goes as far as he goes. Uh, they did not miss Travis die. And, and Chris Moxley was on this all week saying, you know, that they have other capable backs here on this roster. Austin Jones being the key one. And he delivered here today, 21 carries 120 yards, two touchdowns. He really kept the sticks moving there for them when they needed him added four catches for 57 yards as well. Very, very nice performance. Looks like there won't really be a drop off there. Uh, some other backs chipped in as well. Darwin Barlow in one uh, a drive in the late third or early fourth quarter had a couple really nice bruising runs, tacked on a touchdown at the end. Ray Leak Brown got his touches uh, as well through the air. Jordan Addison, Felix, you said today you liked his receptions, but you especially liked his yardage and his touchdown props. I, I was with you on those two. and He, he had almost all of all those three. in the first half. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big, <laughs> big day for him. 11 catches, 178 yards, uh, added a touchdown. Kyle Ford, 
man, I, this was a guy that we had left for dead. A, a bunch of knee injuries here in college was a very, 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 very highly sought after recruit coming out of high school. Uh, borderline four five star kid, great athlete. Uh, he had 73 yards and a touchdown as well. Uh, everybody else chipped in here. Michael Jackson, three for 42. Taj Washington, three for 39. Brendan Rice, three for 34. I mean, it, Mario Williams is an interesting one. We're going to have to talk about him moving forward, Felix. He just ebbs and flows through the game. Only one catch on the day, 15 yards uh, for him. But it, it, it was really, really just a total team effort here for USC. From UCLA, as I said earlier, uh, uh, Caleb Williams might not have been the best quarterback uh, performance in this game. Dorian Thompson Robinson, 23 for 38, 309 yards, four touchdowns. The three interceptions are what ended up killing him on the day. There, there were some real backbreakers in there. But he, this was... A, a, a gutsy performance to end all gutsy performances. Added 75 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. If you guys remember this Jake Hayner game from last year, forget <laughs> who they were playing. Was it UCLA? It was UCLA. There we go. Everything comes full circle here. Where he was clearly injured at the end. He's gotten this thing out. They're like dragging him to the to you know get under center so he can take a snap. That was basically Dorian Thompson Robinson's day. He was getting killed out there. Something's going on with his hand. Um, but but really, really gutsy performance from him. I was just, uh, he's not a real NFL guy, I don't think, but I was just very, very impressed with how he continued to kind of throw punches here, metaphorically speaking, with Caleb Williams. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, what the hell? 95 yards. They, they scored 45 points and no touchdowns through Zach Charbonnet. It's going to kill me. I'm sorry. I know we're not just talking about our own teams here, but come on, man. Four catches, 29 yards on the day as well. Just a, a very disappointing finish when you see that many points on the board. For UCLA, you would have thought he maybe contributed a little bit more there. Jake Bobo, Chris's guy, four catches, 76 yards, 11 and a six fantasy points. Look at that. He hits that fantasy points over. The line was 11 and a half. So, wow, wow. Great, great play there by Chris. Uh, Casimir Allen, five catches, 72 yards, a touchdown. Uh, Michael Aziki, kind of an H back ish. Poor man's Jaheim Bell. They went to him in the red zone every time. Four catches, 44 yards, three touchdowns. A really nice performance uh, from him. Just I mean, a, a crazy game. If you have time to go back, you didn't get to catch this game, go back, rewatch it. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Uh, the line on Zach Charbonnet's receiving was 30. He had four catches for 29 yards. Those people in uh, setting those lines know exactly what it is that they're doing. Is they do. USC... A playoff team. We're going to get to that a little bit later. I appreciate it, Austin. All right, let's get to a team that is not a playoff team, and that is Texas. Texas does get the victory, uh, even though they're not going to the playoff. 55-14, they stomp. They absolutely stomp Kansas on the road, Matt Bruning. And Texas rushed for 427 yards in this one. B. John Robinson had himself a bit. Yeah, I... Um... Don't know why they did not do this last week. Uh, but as you mentioned, 55 to 14, and this was the B. John Robinson show. Let's just go right to it. 243 yards and four touchdowns. He was absolutely dominating on the ground. We talked a lot about this after that game last week where Texas ended up losing to TCU in a very bad game. They relied so much on Quinn Ewers. They were just not they were refusing to give. Bijan Robinson the ball and we saw that that if you go back and look at the stats actually tracked to the last four games it was widely going almost 70% passing 30% running even though Bijan was performing they finally got back to almost a 50-50 split today and we saw what Bijan was able to do Quinn was like 
and I, I mean, he wasn't horrible. He did what he was asked to, but they did not rely on him. 12 of 21, 107 yards, just the one touchdown. They really were not asking him to throw a lot. Some of that, too, was probably with the fact that every time he handed the ball off to Bijan, he was ripping off 20-plus runs and just going into the end zone. It was, I mean, it, this is the Bijan game. He solidified just how special he was. Uh, and, I, I, again, I don't understand why they did not rely on him more earlier or last week. Jordan Whittington, really quick, was the lead receiver on the game or day with 26 yards. And then you had, uh, I'm sorry, and then Xavier Worthy had 81. Is what it was. It was not a great day for the passing game. It was all Bijan Robinson. Uh, Kansas, I think, got screwed in going to Jalen Daniels in this one. He did not look like he was ready. I know he was healthy, and they threw him back out there, but he just did not look like he was ready to play in this one. 230 yards, does get the two touchdowns and one interception. Jason Bean came in late into the fourth quarter. It looked like Jalen Daniels got beat up more, and they ended up pulling him out of the game. I wonder how much closer this game would have been if Bean started the game. Almost all 14 of the, or almost all their points came from um, where they were driving down the field a lot with Jason Bean. Daniels just did not look ready. They shut down Devin Neal, just 51 yards. Nobody in the passing game really did anything here. I mean, Quentin, uh, Quentin Skinner had 98 yards. Lucas Grimm was the one to get the touchdown. It's just a weird game for Kansas, and I really do think a lot of that, as I mentioned, was just Jalen Daniels looked off. His passes were off. He did not look like he was ready to be out there and playing. At some point, we're going to have to talk about Quinn Ewers and the, the end to his season. Only 107 yards passing in this one and completed only 12 of 21 passes. It's not very good for a guy uh, who's supposed to be, you know, an efficient player in Steve Sarkeesian's system. But Texas does get the win, uh, 55 to 14. You like to see a coach switch it up and actually do what is working. In this one, the running game was working. 427 yards on the ground. Jonathan Brooks also added 11 for 100, uh, 108 yards and two touchdowns. And so if you're looking to see, is it going to be Brooks? Is it going to be Blue? Is it going to be a freshman coming into the Texas backfield? Well, I mean, Jadon Blue, 7 for 16 in this one. Jonathan Brooks, uh, 11 for 108. So that's, uh, we probably, 70 Jonathan Brooks might not be. 70 of that did come on one run. Should just point that out. He, he had a big 70-yard run in this game. Yeah. Just check your uh, C2C leads to see if Jonathan Brooks is a free agent or if he's rostered. Matthew, that brings us to Illinois and Michigan. Michigan was favored by 17 and a half. I thought Michigan would cover that spread, but you got to give Brett Bielema credit, who has to be right up there as a coach of the year candidate. Illinois loses, but 17 to 19. Michigan stays undefeated going into the game next week. Yeah, the blowout that Felix and Colin called for, my goodness. This actually, in my opinion, was a much better game than the Texas game. As you mentioned, just 17-19. to 19. Michigan drives down the field late. Oh, my goodness, to, to end up getting the win. That's supposed to be Michigan. Anyways, we'll start with the Illinois, the fighting Illinois, whatever. Fucking goddamn it, this is horrible. <laughs> The fighting Illini, uh, Tommy DeVito in this one. We don't. We probably didn't start him. Twenty-one for thirty, one hundred and seventy yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. No. Chase Brown, Brown, twenty-nine, really, really impressive. Really of one forty, two touchdowns. Had an incredible game in this one. I mean, the patience, his vision. He's also a really good pass catcher. I, I tweeted out. I'm really excited to see what Matt Waldman and Noah Hills have to say about him when they go and do their stuff this offseason. They, they talked about it on the broadcast, but with him and obviously going up against Blake Corum, two guys that are getting a lot of draft buzz. 
Todd McShay was at the game. He was saying that he thinks that they're going to be at best round three picks, but probably round four. Be very curious to see where both of these guys go. Brown looked incredible in this game. And and I got to give you a shout out. The stat line doesn't say a lot here for Isaiah Williams, the freshman, five for 26. But he was a key part of this offense. And Michigan, you could tell, was really kind of covering him to make sure that he was not the one beating him. I thought he actually looked really good in this game. On the Michigan side, I do think Michigan probably wins by more than two points if Blake Corum does not go down with an injury. 18 for 108. He had that like in literally in the first half. He gets injured on one of the last plays, goes down, looked like it was going to be some kind of knee injury. To me, it looked like he smacked his shin. He grabbed it immediately, went down on the ground. He was able to get up. He walked off, goes into the locker room. He comes back out. Michigan's cheering. Everybody's excited to see Blake Corum come out there. He goes out there in the second play. And then after that, we don't see him again, unfortunately. we did. Jim Harbaugh did come out and say there's no structural damage, so we're assuming that he'll be ready for the game next week. Uh, but he was a key part of that offense. I thought maybe C.J. Stokes would be able to step up in place of Blake Corum. He could not. The uh, Illinois was just blitzing and coming after J.J. McCarthy and Stokes after Blake Corum went out. Stokes could do nothing. 36 yards on the ground like he was just getting stopped and I think a lot of that was JJ McCarthy was bad again and this will be a big discussion we'll have here later when we talk about Michigan going up against Ohio State I was very hesitant to believe Michigan could come back and win this game because Illinois was up on them because I don't think JJ McCarthy can throw you back into games 18 to 34 for 208 yards, nothing through the air and touchdowns, no rushing touchdowns either. Like he made a couple big plays at the end of the game to get them there. Uh, a questionable pick play that was not called by the refs gets them the first down on a fourth down call that ends up allowing them to kick the field goal. There is one player that I want to mention you guys should be looking out for. Well, Ronnie Bell had a decent day here, 3 4 44. He was the one that, that JJ McCarthy was going to a lot. But Colston Loveland, the tight end, who I don't think anybody's talking about, they were scheming plays to him, and he was getting wide open against a good Illinois secondary. Chris Moxley has told us that there's some guys, and I think even David's got them in his draft uh, database on the website. There's a couple cornerbacks there that are uh, NFL-bound. He was beating those guys, and I'll be very curious to see what happens moving forward. They talked a lot about him at the end of the game. They had him come over. He was talking to, I believe it was Molly McGrath, who was a reporter. Like He was really good in this game. He was kind of uh, surprising to me, at least, at how good he was. Blake Corum was injured at the end of that first half, but then returned to the sideline with his helmet on. So it made it seem as though he was available to to play, but the, uh, the coaches opted not to bring him into the game and this was a tight game so i don't know what exactly to make it of that all right that is the rundown that means the music stops we always transition to the g5 minute uh uh, presented by hannah page our creative lead in a western kentucky alum uh, brings us all of the highlights and action from around the group of five it's a segment we like to call the g5 minute Hey everyone, this is Hannah Page with the G5 Minute. Each week, I bring you highlights from the group of five as well as major G5 producers for the day. Today's theme is mostly running backs, but first, the Akron Buffalo game was postponed because of hashtag snow. Navy defeated number 20, UCF, by a score of 17 to 14. 
For UCF, this means New Year Six bowl hopes are dashed and conference championship aspirations took a beating as well. Of course, with those service academies and their triple option, you just don't see many pass attempts and this game was no different. Xavier Arline had one pass attempt, but the midshipmen did, however, have 248 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Daba Fafana had 20 carries for 114 yards, while Arline and Vincent Terrell Jr. each contributed a touchdown. Fafana leads this group with 635 yards and six touchdowns, and last week also posted 133 yards, 8.9 yards per carry, and one touchdown against Notre Dame. We're not going to talk about WKU's loss to Auburn, but I do want to talk about running back Marquis Stepp. The sample size is small, but he's already turning heads. The USC to Nebraska to WKU transfer made his debut for the Tops against Rice last week, essentially in garbage time, but contributed eight carries for 64 yards. Today, without lead rusher Kai Robichaw, Stepp got his first carry of the game on WKU's third possession and took it 10 yards. What makes him so intriguing is this combination of his large six-foot-one frame, tremendous balance, and really just how he bludgeons his way forward. I'm not calling him Derrick Henry, but he's the downhill runner that doesn't shy away from contact, a bull in a china cabinet, if you will. If you're already thinking 2023, he is someone to keep on your radar. On Tuesday, Maction, Bowling Green State defeated Toledo 42-35. Wide receiver Odu Hilaire, an Alabama A&M transfer, went off and had a whopping eight receptions for 246 yards. Yes, 246. That's 30.8 yards per catch and two touchdowns. It seemingly came out of nowhere as prior to this game, Hilaire averaged just 45 yards per game. I don't talk much about the Mountain West, mainly because when I record, they haven't kicked off yet. But Wyoming was leading Boise State 17-13 at the end of the third. It looks like Boise is back up 22-17. The Cowboys passing game is non-existent, but running back Titus Swin already has 18 carries for 208 yards, 11.6 yards per carry, and one touchdown. That means on the season he has 182 carries, 960 yards, 5.3 yards per carry, and seven touchdowns. As for did Dwayne McBride and Kalen Laburn surpass 100 yards again tracker, the UAB-LSU game started not too long ago, so only time will tell regarding McBride. Rasheen Ali was back for Marshall, and neither Ali nor Laburn surpassed 100 yards. That's it for the G5 Minute. Thank you, Hannah Page. Let's bring the crew back in here. Matt Bruning, Barnabas Lee, Austin Ablurry. Austin, Nace, all here. Guys, uh, let's start here. Who's going to win the Heisman? I think that uh, Hendon Hooker was a likely candidate. C.J. Stroud is there. If you look at the eight's latest odds, uh, C.J. Stroud is, is minus 220. Caleb Williams is plus 250. Blake Corm was also a candidate, plus 1,600. He didn't finish today. This one's uh, this is a hard question. I mean, I think Caleb Williams has the lead right now, but we still got two weeks left. Austin Ace, who's going to win the Heisman? I think it's Caleb Williams at this point, especially because you can get better odds on him. Like if I'm putting money on it, I'm heading his direction. 
What has CJ Stroud done besides has his name on the short list to start the year to earn the Heisman? Like, it's not like he's been bad. Like, I'm not going to sit here and badmouth CJ Stroud. He's been a very good quarterback on a very good team with very good weapons that's played mostly a very weak schedule and hasn't really. It's hard to say this without more nuance, but it hasn't really elevated this Ohio State offense that much. Like, I think if you took really any of the quarterbacks they have on the roster and plug them in after a couple weeks, they'd probably figure it out. Like, I just, for him to be the prohibitive favorite and basically go from start to finish here, I, I know Hendon Hooker had maybe a week there where he was the favorite. It just is very confusing to me. I, I, I'm curious to see how the voting ends up shaking out in this thing, but I, I, I think you have to, at this point, like Caleb Williams is usc if caleb williams wasn't there what would usc's record be they had five wins six wins like i it wouldn't be more than that so i mean i think best player most valuable player like whatever qualifier you want to put on it i think he has it over stroud well we thought uh will anderson would be a candidate very early on in the offseason he's fallen off somebody has to win it matthew is it going to be caleb williams uh, I so I will say I think it's going to end up being Stroud because I think Williams is going to lose one more game. They've got two tough games, and we saw that defense today against US UCLA. And really, we've seen it all season. It's why I didn't think USC was going to make the playoffs. It was just that defense, which is why I think Stroud is going to win it. Like out of just because this is there's nobody that deserves it this year. I mean, I I, I take that back. Caleb, I think, does deserve it with the way he's played, especially he was down Addison and Mario Williams for multiple weeks, still putting up 300 yards passing, multiple touchdowns. He's doing it with his legs. He's got him to a, whatever it is now, nine or 10 and one record. I just don't know that he, if CJ Stroud goes out there next week and beats Michigan and then wins the Big Ten championship, I guarantee he's going to win it regardless of, of Caleb Williams takes USC to the playoffs because they're going to count that win against Michigan as a better win because they're going to be the number two or three ranked team in the nation. Ohio State will be the top two team all season long and let's say he did it and why we don't necessarily agree with this narrative, one of the things or one of the reasons we were propping Will Anderson up was because of the narrative driven behind him from last year, not making it coming into this year. We're like, that's his best shot at getting in there if he goes out there and does it again. I think the narrative of what CJ Stroud did last year and then coming in and being the favorite, as Austin said, matters to these riders for whatever reason. And I think that's why he stayed up there when Austin's right. He and I don't care. I will, Batman. He's done nothing. Like, he's just been okay. That's not what you want from the Heisman. The Heisman's supposed to be the best player in college football, in my opinion. That has not been C.J. Stroud. No disrespect to him, but it has not, not been the best him. player on that offense. Agreed. Like, if you were going to give it to the best player on the offense, it's going to Marvin Harrison Jr. It is not going to C.J. Stroud. So, I, for me, I don't think he should win it, but I think if he goes out there and beats Michigan, that will almost lock it up for him to win it, in my opinion. Well, Barnabas, if I give you Caleb Williams or the or the field, you taking Caleb Williams? No, I'm not. And uh, like, uh, my question is this: Does is it possible for someone to win the Heisman if their team is not in the playoff? And I don't think that that is the case. And frankly, like Matt said, like USC has a tough road to get into the playoff. I mean, granted, with uh, Tennessee losing, they have a clearer path, but it's not. It's still not a great uh, you know path to get there. And so just, I think CJ Stroud's just going to be the last one standing. And, uh, and I agree, you know, I was, I haven't watched uh, too much all 22 on CJ Stroud, but watching the Maryland game today, it was 
uninspiring at best. Um, and that was against a really bad defense. And so if that's the level he's been playing all season, you know, granted he, he's still putting up numbers technically, but is that Ryan day or is that, you know, CJ Stroud? And so like, I think CJ Stroud is still a good NFL prospect, but that would, that has never been the criteria for Heisman. And, uh, Caleb Williams has looked more electric, if you will, to use uh, like a buzzword. Uh, but you, I, I think you have to be in the playoff and I think CJ Stroud is just the last one standing. Um, uh, Will Anderson, we, we, we hoped he would have a crazy season, but you know, Alabama, not also not probably not making the playoff hurt them, but also Will Anderson has shown a real proclivity for missed tackles. And so that that's the real reason why people faded on him so quickly. Well, who's going to make the playoff and who's going to win the Heisman? These two uh, questions are interrelated. Let's talk about that playoff. We've got Georgia. I think you can lock Georgia in. Ohio State, I'm going to project them to win next week uh, with that game being at home. And who are, who's going to get the other two spots? Is it a one-loss Michigan team? Is it USC? Is it an undefeated TCU? Austin, who do you got making it? I So if that scenario plays out that you just laid out, you know, let's lock in Georgia. Oh, let's project Ohio State to win next week. If, if USC beats Notre Dame, I think they are ranked over Michigan. I think they get a, a TCU. It, it would be Georgia, Ohio State, TCU, USC. I think that would be your group, assuming everybody wins out. Um, I, I don't know how many other teams actually have a realistic shot at this. You know, Michigan has a shot if TCU loses or USC loses. LSU, if they run the table and a bunch of other teams lose, I think that's kind of the cutoff though here. Like, I don't think Alabama really realistically has the chance because they've, they they would have lost to LSU who would be in front of them. They would have lost to Tennessee who lost to Georgia. Like they wouldn't have gotten their, their, their shot at Georgia, but they, they kind of, you know, the, the transitive property there. Like, I think the cutoff really is a, a USC here. There's six teams left Four of them can get in. And I think if, Ohio State wins, Michigan's out, and I think LSU's out. I think that's going to kind of be how it shakes out here. Matthew, Georgia, Ohio State, TCU, and USC. You agree with that four? No, because uh, I do think USC is going to lose, whether it's to Notre Dame next week, who is – I think we we talked about Anthony Richardson. I'm going to make the comparison to him, how he's looked better in the second half of the season. We stopped watching him after he had, like, multiple bad performances – we kind of stopped watching Notre Dame after they lost to Marshall. They've been a much better team in the second half of this season, including that defense. And I think if that offense could come to play, I think they can slow down USC a little bit. And even if they don't beat them, I still think Oregon can beat them, who I don't know if they're winning as we were talking about this. They were when we came into this. They would be then in the front running seat to get back in and play USC in the big or the Pac-12 championship game. So that's why I still think USC's got a real shot of losing. If they do, they're not getting in. They're not getting in with two losses. The only two-loss team I think has a chance to get in is LSU. And they've got to run the table, which means they would beat Georgia, at which point I would think they're both getting in, LSU and Georgia, because they're not leaving Georgia out with one loss. I think there's a realistic shot that we are actually going to see, as much as I hate to see this, it's going to be Georgia, Ohio State, TCU, Michigan. Because I think next week, we, we just talked about how uninspiring C.J. Stroud has been, and it's not even just been on the road. It has been at home as well. They have not played well. I do think Michigan's defense is going to be able to cause trouble for Ohio State's offense, much like they did last year, and if they're able to run the ball, praying that Blake Corum is able to come back, this is likely going to be a tight game. 
I don't know why they were not. They're not going to put a two-loss LSU in, or well, if they win, they just, if LSU loses to Georgia. We're saying Georgia's number one, so they must win out. They're they're going to win the NCC championship, right? So that knocks out LSU. So the only other team you're talking about, you're arguing between Clemson, assuming they go and beat UNC. So you got one loss, Clemson, and one loss, Michigan. One loss, Clemson has been nowhere near Michigan this entire conversation. I understand that Michigan has no losses. I don't think Michigan drops to like more than five if they do lose next week to Ohio State or the other way. If Ohio State loses, I think they drop to five. So I think one of those teams has the best shot at getting into four if USC loses. And I do think that they will. So I think we're actually going to unfortunately see two Big Ten teams in. And I don't know that I'd like to see that, but I think TCU is just that team of destiny this year. They just are not losing. They find, like Barnett has talked about it, how the hell they pulled that off, how the stupid play calling for three plays in a row, and they're able to get that kickoff to win that game against Baylor. They're just going to win it. I think they're going to go undefeated. Probably don't deserve to be in the playoff. They're probably going to get destroyed. But I think they get in, and then the four team is going to be the loser of Ohio State, Michigan. Barnabas, Barnabas, weigh in here. Who do you think is going to be in the playoff? So I think I, I'm going to hedge and just say I don't know. It's going to be one of the two things that either Austin or Matt said. Um, it, it'll be interesting. You know, I don't think that TCU is going to get necessarily blown out here because uh, assuming that Michigan loses, TCU is going to end up against Ohio State, right, in this, like, hypothetical scenario. And Ohio State, is that defense isn't necessarily equipped to handle if TCU is all healthy, right? If Quentin Johnston, Tay Barber, all these guys are all healthy. Uh, what's his name? Darius, uh, whatever, the kicker yeah. turner. Davis, yeah. If they're all healthy, then this is actually a game because, you know, and so I don't know that TCU is necessarily blown out and that they don't necessarily belong. Um, the Big 12 has been busy knocking each other off. Uh, by the way, Oregon is still up 17 to 10. Uh, Utah scored on a stupid score. Um, but uh, I think that it'll be more interesting if USC makes it in, but I, I agree. I think it's a tough road. I think USC is probably a little more likely, um, but I, I'm really intrigued. I kind of am rooting for an LSU uh, SEC championship. Yes. Well, one of the dominoes to fall for this playoff for this uh, playoff race is the game next week. Two top five teams in the rivalry game: Michigan and Ohio State. CJ Stroud hasn't played well, but Ohio State still scored what forty-one points uh, offensively today. I'm not sure that Michigan can score twenty. Matt Bruning, how how does Michigan win this game? So just to clarify, they only scored 30 something. They did have the scoop and score at the end on on uh, the Tua play uh, or the Talia play. Exactly how they did it last year. Look, you can, you're not going to be able to use the flu as the excuse. CJ Stroud. I know Michigan fans are throwing that all over Twitter. If that defense can slow this offense down like Maryland did, and as had Barnabas mentioned earlier, Maryland's not a good defense. Like Michigan is tiers above them as a defense, in my opinion. What do they do well? They actually do well stopping the pass where Michigan is susceptible. We saw it today. Chase Brown on the ground. That's what I talked about in the tailgate. Who does the Buckeyes have that can run the ball? They're hoping Mayan Williams come come back, but he's injured. As Barnabas mentioned, Travian Henderson's in a boot again. He just came out of that thing, and they said he was healthy, and in three plays into the game today, he's in a boot again. I like Dallin Hayden. I don't know that he's going to be able to run against this Michigan front. They're able to slow down C.J. Stroud and that passing attack. You're going to get right back in the situation you were in last year where Michigan's controlling the game with the with the ground game, and they're just going to ask J.J. McCarthy to keep doing what he's doing. We all say that he's played bad, but you know what he's done? Not turn the ball over, and he's just – distributed the ball right around in the in small parts or the short areas of the field to get pl- the yards after the catch. 
that is where they're going to beat Ohio State, and that's how they're going to have to beat Ohio State. They cannot match Ohio State score for score. So they start letting C.J. Stroud go down the field and get these big plays. I don't think Michigan will be able to match them. I think they're going to take the air out of the ball, much like they did last year, and hope that Blake Corum and C.J. Stokes, hopefully Donovan Edwards is back for them next week, just rely on those three guys to just run all over Ohio State because that was what was happening at times today with Roman Hemby of all running backs. I don't think he's as good as any of those. Well, he's probably better than CJ Stokes. I don't think he's better than Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. So if those two guys can get running for Michigan, I, I, I think is you're going to see very much of what we saw last year. Austin, it sounds like the key question is, can Ohio State stop Michigan's run game? Michigan's run game is their only path towards a victory. Do you see them being able to stop Michigan's run game in this one? Well, well I think an underrated thing here that Matt actually didn't talk about Corum got injured in this game he only ran it one time in the second half is that correct from what I saw so I that signals to me that he was not right otherwise he would have been in a close game is he healthy enough for next week to really contribute Donovan Edwards didn't play in this one either did he no they they announced before the game that he was not going to be playing so I I don't know if this was one of those uh, patented get right games that some of these teams have been doing this year where they've been sitting guys but I mean Banged up Corum, banged up Edwards. If neither play or, or if both play or one plays, but they're kind of uh, hindered a little bit. I think that's a big issue for them. You're relying on CJ Stokes, who I think can be a really good player for them. But what actually gave Ohio State last problems last year was Haskins, who could just pound it between the tackles. That's not the kind of back that Stokes is right now. And they don't really have another, like they don't have a Haskins on the roster at the moment. So I think that's going to be, the big question here for Michigan, if both of those guys are banged up, they just, there might not be, that might not be an option for them in this game. They're going to figure something else out. I don't know. Maybe put a tight end back there. Like I really don't know what they're going to do. They're going to get creative within the confines of what is acceptable within a, a, a what's his name offense. Like I, I just don't know. I do want to clarify one thing. Uh, Maryland, they ran the ball 31 times for 84 yards, averaging 2.7 yards per carry in this one. They did pass for 318 yards against Ohio State today, but not very effective on, on the ground. Uh, Barnabas, what, what, how does Michigan win this game? Uh, Michigan wins this game if Ohio State can't figure out their passing offense here. It's not just C.J. Stroud is the problem here. Today, Marvin Harrison was the only one that was actually getting open, or even when not open, he was just dunking on corners. Maryland has one defensive back. That's Jacorian Bennett, who has already accepted a senior bowl invite. There is no other defensive backs, or no other corners, I should say, that can cover these wide receivers. Yet, Emeka wasn't actually getting open until six seconds after the ball was snapped. And, uh, you know, Julian Fleming was practically non-existent on the field. This is not just a C.J. Stroud problem. And so, if Ohio State can't figure it out, Michigan's defensive backfield is way better than Maryland's. It's just not even in the same league. Um, And so they can stop them that way. Um, And so if you stifle that, like Matt said, who's healthy among either team's running backs? Like we're seeing this is going to be – they're going to try to have to pass it, and neither team is really doing well. But Ohio State looks better right now, and if uh, Michigan can limit that on the defensive backfield, they have a shot. Barnabas, Matt, we appreciate it. We will be here probably for the last time next week uh, watching that Michigan-Ohio State game. Appreciate it, guys. I I have one more thing I want to toss out here. Am I on the left coast check-in? No, that would be – it would be Matt. Or is it it Austin? 
it's not me. I just want to shout out real quick. Oh. Uh, my Juniata Eagles won the national championship today. D3 wins volleyball. First national championship in uh, about 16 years. Go Juniata. Um, that's all I got to say. Go Juniata. Go Juniata. All right, uh, Matthew, Utah and Oregon, that was a bit uh, – the Pac-12 taking center stage today. Uh, Oregon had the lead as we heard. How's it looking now? Yeah, they still have the lead now, and I apologize. You said thanks for stopping by, so I thought I thought Austin was taking over. Um, Utah does have the ball, though. It is third and four in the third quarter. They are driving down the field, but it is still 17-10. to 10. Bo Nix is playing in this game, for those of you who missed it. Uh, very questionable coming into this. He's already passed for 193 yards and one touchdown. Um, Dante Thornton has been the main receiver of that with 101 yards. Cameron Rising has not been able to do much, just 105 yards through the air. One interception, Tavian Thomas, 30 yards on the ground, but Dalton Kincaid is just dominating 70 of the 105 yards he has gotten through the air. Uh, Washington, after their win uh, uh, beating Oregon last week, they cursed up uh, Colorado today. Uh, statistically, how did Michael Penix Jr. and company perform? Yeah, I thought this might be an interesting game to go back and look at. Michael Penix, um, they pulled out all the tricks in this one. He had a couple trick plays going 229 yards, one touchdown. He actually got pulled at one point to allow Dylan Morris to come in and throw a little bit. Uh, Wayne Tulia Papa, I believe is how you say his name, 170 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Jalen McMillan continuing to have a good season, 98 yards through the air with one touchdown. Jalen Polk, the other leading receiver with 39. No one really to talk about, unfortunately, on Colorado's side is their young uh, freshman wide receiver went out last week with that injury. He probably was the only player we were really looking at for Colorado's side, but again, as he is knocked out with an injury. Fresno State and Nevada, a lot of folks uh, taking Jake Hayner, uh, Jordan Mims, and, and company uh, on this late night game, thinking that Fresno State would kind of run through Nevada. Is that the case? Yes. It is 24 to nothing right now, uh, 10 minutes into the third quarter, 21 of 30 for 261 yards and two touchdowns for Jake Hayner. Mims, though, just 48 yards on the ground, doesn't have anything receiving-wise, but Jalen Moreno-Cropper, I know Austin will be thrilled to hear this as he is hoping he has a good day. 128 yards already through the air on six receptions, and again, Nevada, there's really nobody worth talking about here. Campbell, 41 yards through the air. Uh, Tawa to Toa Tawa 39 yards on the ground. Uh, nothing really going on, unfortunately. All right, Matt, you ready to close out the show? Let's do it. Let's just get this. Let's just talk about uh, Michigan at Ohio State. How do you see this one playing out? Man, I don't, I really don't know. I, I think this is going to be a very good game. I am very hesitant to say that Ohio State is just going to win this game. I know a lot of Ohio State fans were talking about that on Twitter today after they watched Michigan struggle against Illinois, but I think Illinois would have been one of the best defenses Ohio State has played outside of Notre Dame till this point in the season, and Michigan found a way to win that game. Again, Austin mentioned it. It's really going to come down to Cam Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards come back and play in this game, even healthy. Jim Harbaugh did mention after the game that there's no structural damage in Blake Corum's knee, so that is good news for Blake Corum. And as Barnabas mentioned, it's really going to come down to can Mecca, who was really good early in this season, has kind of tailed off. Can Mecca do something to help out Marvin Harrison Jr.? 
what happened to Julian Fleming? Everybody was talking about having this resurgent season after two weeks, and he's disappeared. They need someone else outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. to step up, where C.J. Stroud is going to struggle against a good secondary uh, against Michigan next week, even at home. It's going to be a close game. I, I really don't know how to pick it. I think I'm. We're, it's going to be something we'll talk about all next Saturday on Better Sports and the Tailgate because we'll start getting reports on who's healthy. You know, will Mayan be able to come back? Or are they going to be relying on just Dallin Hayden for the Buckeyes? Will Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards be there? I think that is going to be the key to who ends up winning that game. There's a huge, huge slate of games on Friday, including uh, NC State and UNC. You've also got Tex Baylor at Texas in this one. Matthew, the Iron Bowl. Cadillac Williams uh, taking the helm over there at Auburn. Can you see them upsetting Alabama? Why not? It's been a very weird year for Alabama. Uh, They really seem to be playing well under Cadillac Williams and having a lot of fun. It was close for a while there against Western Kentucky, but they ended up pulling away in that one. Alabama just – I'll give it to Alabama, Nick Saban. He's not going to let his team quit, and they went out there and they put it on Austin P. A lot of people thought maybe Bryce Young, all those guys would give up. They went out there and had a phenomenal game. I think they'll be up for this game. But Auburn's got nothing to lose right now, and neither does Cadillac Williams. There's a lot of talks that he's not going to get to keep that job. And when you have nothing to lose sometimes, as you said, sometimes you just go out there and you play loose, and that's exactly what Auburn needs to do to upset Alabama. They're more beatable than they have been the past couple of years. I think there's a shot that they could pull it off. It's rivalry week next week. There's no rival between rivalry between us here at camp again, Dr. Thompson. We will be here one last time next week. Spencer Rattler getting back to his QB one days, six touchdowns. He's got to be a candidate for the player of the week. Good night, everyone.